Welcome to another podcast for the Journal of Parenteral and Enteral Nutrition. My name is Kelly Tappenden. I'm the Editor-in-Chief of JPEN and the Kraft Foods Human Nutrition Endowed Professor at the University of Illinois at Urbana. I'm here today with Dr. Per Sangild, who is Professor of Clinical and Experimental Nutrition in the Department of Nutrition, Exercise, and Sports from the University of Copenhagen. And we're here to discuss his paper that will be shown in the July 2014 issue of JPEN entitled Modulation of Intestinal Inflammation by Minimal Enteral Nutrition with Amniotic Fluid in Preterm Piglets. Welcome, Dr. Sangild. Thank you very much. Let me start by congratulating you on your important work. Necrotizing enterocolitis, though a devastating clinical problem in human infants, has been difficult to study due to the lack of clinically relevant animal models. Thus, I thought it would be important to discuss the unique piglet model that your group has developed. Can you tell us about that? Yeah. Basically, as many uh, pig discoveries, they are more or less discovered by chance or by coincidence and in a way that was similar with our model. So we did studies 15 years ago a lot in fetuses. Basically, I started out a lot in fetal physiology, and then we usually got a little uh, sort of leftover uh, litter made pigs, uh, which were very premature, and we never really thought about doing premature experiments at the time, but started to feed these pigs with different diets just to make good use of the remaining pigs in the litter after we took out the fetuses where we'd been doing various manipulations before the date that we actually took them out by cesarean section. And then it happened that in every litter there was these pigs that got this very serious gut disease that actually made us worry that we couldn't really do these experiments. And it wasn't really, I mean, we were aware that this was a, a similar situation to necrotizing enterocolitis known very well from preterm infants, but thought that that was almost too easy to replicate that disease. And at the time, I wasn't really aware that there was no spontaneous model of necrotizing enterocolitis. So therefore, we, it was quite a few years before we actually started doing specific studies on that disease. So, so basically, the disease, if you deliver um, at least the Danish strain pigs by cesarean section, about 10% preterm, they spontaneously develop this disease within 48 to 96 hours if you feed them a wrong diet. And this is basically what we developed the model from. Very good. Now, your current paper tests the hypothesis that minimal enteral nutrition with amniotic fluid prior to enteral formula feeding, improves resistance to necrotizing enterocolitis in preterm pigs, and this model that you've just described for us. So you tested this in three separate experiments, the first in cell culture, the second two in piglets. Uh, can you tell us about those in series? So the first was the cell culture with IEC6 cells, an epithelial cell line. Tell us about that. Right. Yeah. So the uh, first to really document whether a fluid like amniotic fluid has plays any physiological role uh, for the gut uh, for its maturation, it seems relevant to first, at least in a highly controlled in vitro system, to make sure that it does something to the cells. And, and, and what we basically tested it was the cell proliferation actions of our amniotic fluid 
and, and showing the expected effects on the proliferation of the cells. So we would believe that maybe this uh, natural enteral diet of the fetus before birth maybe is a sort of training for the intestinal cells and maintaining them well. So it should also have an effect in a, in a sterile in vitro system after birth, and that's what we first documented there. And then we moved on to use this basic information to test it in our in vivo model, where if, if this is an important physiological function that when you are born preterm and are devoid of the last weeks of swallowing a lot of amniotic fluid, that basically that, that should also help the postnatal preterm just as well as it's supposed to you to help the maturation of the intestine before birth. So, so that we did in the next two uh, experiments in vivo and pigs. First, we tested prior to the um, introduction of any enteral milk diet, whether it would help the intestine, and then subsequently combining it with the introduction of a milk diet. So what we found was not an entirely consistent positive effect, but certainly an uh, immunomodulation that would indicate that there is physiological effects there. We found out from this study that there is certainly more work to do to make sure that we use this possible therapeutic treatment in the right way when it comes to timing and doses and so on. So, so basically this is the third or fourth of a series of studies that we've done where we're trying to fine-tune how to use it best, this amniotic fluid approach. So you looked at measures of intestinal growth, intestinal weight, cryptvillus architecture, and then some enzyme activity of the intestinal mucosa. You also compared piglet amniotic fluid versus human amniotic fluid. What's the difference between the human and the piglet with regard to the amniotic fluid composition? And how is the amniotic fluid actually interacting with the epithelium when, when it is swallowed by the fetus? So just like the whole placental function is very different between different mammalian species, unfortunately, you may say also it seems like amniotic fluid is quite different between the species. So human amniotic fluid contains, when you analyze the different nutrient components and even the growth factors and cytokines and so on, the levels are quite different. So therefore, we thought it was relevant to investigate both the species-specific amniotic fluid and then amniotic fluid from another species. Because, of course, also the potential for human babies would be that we could collect not only amniotic fluid from the same mother or from humans, but also potentially use the amniotic fluid from another species. However, it seems like we haven't had much luck using uh, human amniotic fluid or even bovine amniotic fluid in our pig model. Uh, in most of the experiments, we have tended to see that the clinical readouts and the functional indices, they uh, get worse when we do it. So in contrast to many milk diets, which has beneficial effects that are cross, that, that are partly uh, species independent, we tend to see that when it comes to amniotic fluid, there's a very strong species dependency, which probably is related to immune factors that are very species dependent. So this is interesting to me that you saw measures of intestinal growth that were stimulated by the amniotic fluid, but when you look at the severity of neck, it was made worse by the amniotic fluid. What are your thoughts on that? 
so when it comes to especially the human amniotic fluid, you mean? Then, Correct. Then it was, so it yeah. can stimulate that growth more, too. So it's it's stimulated. I mean, sometimes gut growth can be a little bit difficult in this situation together with NEC because generally NEC is associated with an increased edema of the tissue. So if we see a slight growth effect on the wet weight tissue, we wouldn't be too concerned about that result because part of it may actually be edema. Excellent. That makes good sense. Uh, uh, and, and, and therefore, what, what is important here is basically that the human amniotic fluid tends to stimulate NEC in the piglets rather than inhibit. Why do you think that may be the case? So we don't really have a good explanation, and we didn't find out why it did it, but I would think it's related to very species-specific immunological factors that are species-dependent. And, and in that regard, it might also make good sense that something as intimate and important as amniotic fluid has a degree of species dependency that is very high. Whereas if you go into the milk phase, ex utero, and you are in the normal world with all the other mammals, then it may also make more sense that the effects of milk, even its immunological components, is partly species independent. So we've always seen, you know, various mammals drinking the milks of other mammals, but it would seem quite unnatural, you can say, that uh, one species would drink the amniotic fluid of another mammal. And therefore, it makes good intuitive sense that actually that part is very species dependent. Yes, very good. Now, with that said, the piglet amniotic fluid really wasn't protective against neck in any way either, though, statistically. In so, so in, in, in these experiments, in contrast to the previous experiments that we published earlier, in these experiments, we didn't really find very much of a protective effect. Although, if you look at body weight gain, which, uh, after all, is an important index of how they are doing overall, there was a tendency all the time that we saw higher growth rates on the, on the body scale for those piglets that have received the amniotic fluid, and we're still very puzzled about this growth effect. Of course, it's very important for us to get to terms with the argument that this may be partly just fluid accumulation in the body. But across all the experiments, we have every time found a growth effect, and recently we followed up on these uh, experiments again, just restricting it a little longer to the time before we introduce the milk diet, and again, we find a very clear growth effect. So it is possible that amniotic fluid is partly also there to control metabolism in the uh, late developing fetus, such that it actually uh, metabolizes the nutrients and stimulates growth of that fetus. Because what we saw in the earlier fetal experiments that I highlighted just in the beginning of our talk, where we also prevented fetuses from drinking amniotic fluid in utero, we saw that they were always 20% growth retarded. And we thought at the time that this might be due to the lack of enteral nutrient input. Actually, there is also the potential that there's factors in amniotic fluid that helps control metabolism towards an anabolic situation. So in that sense, there's some connection 
between what we now see in the preterm newborn and what we saw in utero in the fetuses, where we basically made a model of intestinal atresia and where they are prevented from drinking amniotic fluid for weeks in utero. Yes, I have enjoyed looking at that early work. What paper would you recommend our authors go to to see the effects that you're describing? Uh, so that would be a paper in pediatric research in 2002. Okay, where you were we studied, the first author on that, right? Uh, I was the first author. That's correct. Yeah, and, and this was an uh, this was an effect of two weeks of intestinal atresia in late cestation in in pig fetuses. We also did a similar study in fetal lamb, and there was a similar effect, and that was published in Journal of Reproduction and Fertility. And I think Jeff Traher was the first author on, on that paper, and that was in 2000. Thank you. So with all this in mind, what's the important question to answer next? Uh, I mean, we had hoped, honestly, that the effects of amniotic fluid would be more clear-cut, that if we had compared with some of our most beneficial enteral diets, we have generally focused on various cholesterol milk diets as our positive controls, that we had hoped to find that amniotic fluid was basically as effective as, as that in preventing neck. So we conclude that that is not the case and that more careful experimental studies are required before we might even consider to give amniotic fluid to human preterm babies. Uh, so the most important thing is really still to refine the timing and the amount of amniotic fluid to give in relation to introduction of the first enteral food, which may be either mother's milk or formula. And I would say we are not quite there yet where we may in pilot study give preterm infants amniotic fluid from their own mother in the few days where we are waiting for mother's milk to come. I would say we still need to refine this a little better in the uh, experimental animal models. The mice results that have come out during the last year, at least superficially, they seem to be more in favor of a very clear effect of amniotic fluid on preventing NEC and promoting adaptation of that premature intestine. We, in our hand, have not been able to, in the various models here, to replicate those very clear effects. We would tend to think that maybe our spontaneous NEC and prematurity model is more reflective of the state that a preterm baby would have relative to the postnatal and slightly older NEC models in mice that are also uh, more artificial, I, I would say, than the spontaneous NEC development in our piglet model. Absolutely. I, I agree a great deal. I also, um, in closing, want to congratulate you on the commitment and level of work that goes into this. Although I haven't worked with your neck model, I have worked with neonatal piglets and understand just what an acute, clinically demanding model it is, and you and your colleagues are to be congratulated. Please see Dr. Sangild and colleagues' paper in the July 2014 issue of JPEN. Thank you, Dr. Sangild. Thank you very much.